this is Rachel in Recover. We're back with Pete Singer. He's going to uh, tell the rest of his journey working with Grace and his experience working in churches and with churches on spiritual abuse and abuse within the church. Um, so we're going to get to the questions. Um, how do you think the church could do better at helping with domestic violence? Well, thanks for having me uh, back, Rachel. I really appreciate the chance to talk about this and just your uh, concern and passion for, for these issues and, and putting this out there for people. How could the church do a better job in responding to uh, domestic violence, intimate partner violence? I think uh, the first step relates to the previous question, and that is ask the survivors. Um, Whenever we ask ourselves, how can we respond to this type of abuse? How can we respond to this type of trauma? The first place we need to start is asking people who've experienced it so that they can speak to what they need from that personal experience. I think um, other things that become very important is to make sure that we have a, a proper understanding of um, what we believe as a church about how all people should be treated. It's essential to recognize that nobody, whether they are male or female, uh, or identify uh, as... Uh, gender non-conforming or non-cisgendered or however they may identify that that person never deserves to be abused period and that's the starting point we have to be really careful with our theology and this is key to prevention and to response it's very easy to have some theology twisted, some theology used as a weapon. And that's especially true if uh, theology has a, a more rigidly defined power structure or structure of um, leadership submission within a relationship. Um, I'm not I'm not about telling people to change their theology, but what I would say is all theology has risk. Some theology more than others. If in my theology I believe that Jesus is the only way to salvation, that theology has risk. That theology can be misused. That theology can be used as a weapon. That doesn't necessarily mean that I have to change my theology, and I'm not saying that theology should be changed or kept the same, but what we do have to recognize is that if our theology has risk, and we see that it has risk, if our theology can be used or misused to inflict harm, then we have a responsibility to proactively come against that. 
So, for example, theology that has a strong uh, focus on uh, submission of uh, the wife to the husband, for example, is a theology that has been used and has been misused to justify domestic violence, intimate partner violence, that has been used to deny its existence. It has been used to minimize the church's response. And so if that's a theology that is held, what are you doing to minimize that risk? What are you doing to say, absolutely not? That becomes incredibly important. We also have to be careful not just about what we believe in our theology, but intentionally and planfully address that risk in how we preach and in how we teach and in how we provide relationship counseling. These are essential factors because it is very easy to take some theologies and use them as a Most weapon. Most definitely. Um, I mean, I grew up in a household like that, so I completely grasp that. I'll give you an example. And I know, so first off, one, I know that this is not the position that mm-hmm. most people hold who, for example, um, say that mm-hmm. the male needs to be the head of the household and the female needs to submit. And again, I'm not endorsing or condemning any one uh, particular theological viewpoint. Um, but in that church that I referenced where I grew up that had a lot of abuse, one of the, one of the things that happened in that situation is... Um, that the mom, before the dad um, had killed one of his kids, before the mom had to kill the dad to protect the rest of the family, before that happened, the mom went to the lead pastor of the church and explained all of the abuse that was happening. And the pastor's response was, the answer here is clear. You're not properly submitting, and when you properly submit, the abuse will stop. So I recognize that that is absolutely not where most people are. The vast majority of people are who say that uh, the male is the head of the household and the female submits to the male. I recognize that that's not where most of those people are, but... We need to be aware that that interpretation is out there and that that use of the theology as a weapon is out there. And in that particular example, costs two people their lives. Um, I know a lot of people are just struggling just to get out of, I guess, fundamentalism. And like, I don't even know if... Like, they're so far off from what God wants us to to be as as the church and as the body of Christ it's 
to the point where it doesn't even resemble, there's no resemblance of to, you know, to who God is and to who he, you know, who we are supposed to be representing. Because, I mean, we're just using, there's been just so much use of scriptures to abuse people that it's just, it's so terrifying. It is to see how scripture can be twisted, to see how scripture can be misused to really accomplish almost anything that a person wants. I found it interesting, uh, even just today, as I was having, um, uh, spending some time reading scripture. Um, I'm reading in numbers right now, and and I get to the story of Balaam's ass, the the story of the prophet. Um, he was approached by. Uh, leaders of another nation as Israel was uh, approaching in their return from Egypt. And these other leaders said, you know, you're, you're a prophet. Whoever you curse is cursed. Whoever you bless is blessed. Pronounce a curse on the Israelites so that we can win in battle. And they offered him money and they offered him power. And his initial response was, I, I can only say what God has said. I, I cannot say more just for the sake of money and power. And so often what we see, and, and I'm not calling out any one particular denomination or faith set, but we need to be careful of this in the church as a whole because so often what ends up happening is money and especially power and reputation enters into the picture and then like Balaam we suddenly become willing to say more than what God said to go beyond what God has said because there's power or there's money or there's prestige or there's reputation involved we need to be watchful of that as a church, and we cannot yes, most go there. definitely. Um, no, I mean, it was, I mean, I've seen it as bad as I was on an online dating agenda thing, and a guy used scripture to body shame people to say, you know, about, talk about gluttony and talk about, you know, how how David had beautiful wives, or different people in the Bible had beautiful wives, and it just... I was just fabricated by just, I mean, I, I mean, I've heard the Bible used to abuse people, but that was just a new low. Yeah, it's, and those are incredibly powerful words. I mean, scripture is powerful. I mean, when Satan comes against Christ in the wilderness, what does he use in his attack? 
Scripture. Scripture is powerful. It is powerful as a weapon against evil, and it is powerful as a weapon to abuse yes. as well. Um, what are things that trigger you working in the church today, like the work that you're doing right now? So I think things that, that trigger or activate me, um, just the so many, so many ways that power is misused. And I want to be clear there, I have met so many people in the church who use power well. I don't remember the if I mentioned this story uh, the last time that we talked, but when my wife and I were looking for a church recently, um, it was during uh, the pandemic, and so we were looking online at different church services, and we came across this church, and the pastor was preaching, and the pastor was preaching on humility. And so often... I've heard pastors preach about humility and how people in the church need to be humble. But the pastor was preaching on that leaders in the church need to be humble. That he needs to be humble. That as leaders they need to listen to what their church says to them. And that if people in the church have concerns people in the church need to be able to call out those concerns. People in the church need to be able to tell the pastor if they think that the pastor has made a mistake. Need to be able to confront and hold the pastor accountable and that leadership in this church needs to be humble. And you don't usually hear a sermon about how I need to be humble. It's usually how you need to be humble. And so, I know that there are churches that understand how God intended power to be used. So the misuse of power really activates me. And when people prioritize the reputation of the church over safety, that the, the institution of the church becomes more important than safety. And I can't tell you the number of people with whom I've spoken that as they speak to me in tears talk about how they have been told you can't let people know what happened. Because if you let people know what happened they won't respect what we have to say about God. And if they don't respect what people have what we say about God, then those people might go to hell. So if you tell people what happened, you could be sending people to hell. You don't want to send people to hell now, do you? And so, in part, it's prioritizing the reputation of the church over the safety of that person and the healing of that person and ministering to that person. And it's part, in part, it's saying, you know what? 
if our church gets a black eye, it's your fault for mentioning the abuse. It's not our fault for doing the abuse. It's not the abuser's fault for doing the abuse. It's your fault for talking about the abuse. That activates me. Because in no way is that the case. In fact, that person speaking the truth, calling out that they were abused, identifying their abuser, if anything, is like what the prophets describe as the person on the watchtower calling out danger so that people can be saved. Calling out danger so that others are not hurt. And instead that person is being blamed for hurting the reputation of the church, hurting the gospel, sending people to hell. And this is a misuse of scripture. This is placing blame on the person who has already been hurt. Placing blame in that way or any other way, that blame is placed on a victim, blame is placed on a survivor. I think honestly, Whether, as yeah, you go know, ahead. Sorry, I talk to non-Christians and I talk to unbelievers. You know, like I had Doctor Anna Salter, and she says, you know, she works with all these criminal cases inside the church, and I think it's doing the opposite. When we don't say anything, we are actually pushing people away from Christ. We are. I mean, and and what. I think one of the things that draws people to Christ is this focus on the person that's been abused, the person that's been hurt, the person that's been marginalized, the person that's been abused, that that person is prioritized, that there is... I mean, it is just so clearly laid out in Scripture not just as something that we need to do, but that is central to the heart of God and and that is central to our relationship with God, where it says, um, looking at the history of the kings and of the prophets, where we have it flat out stated, that king would not take care of the people that are hurting, that are vulnerable and in need. And in so doing, that king chose not to know God. Not caring for the vulnerable, not protecting the vulnerable, was choosing to not know God. And then we go just a few chapters later and what do we have? We have scripture talking about a king who did take care of the poor and the vulnerable, did make sure those protections were in place. And it just flat out says the king took care of the vulnerable. Isn't that what it means to know me, declares the Lord? It It, it isn't something we should do. It's at the core of our faith. It's what it means to know God. And so you're you're so right that that is, I think, one of the things that draws people 
is seeing that that is at the heart of God, that that needs to be at the heart of our faith. Sometimes it seems like we've lost that, but I have met with many leaders in the church, and I've met with many people who don't have a formal leadership role in the church, but just are the church, who remember that that is part of our DNA and that we need to hold on to that. What are things that used to trigger you inside the church that you have overcome? Um, I think in large part those are just the things that have triggered or activated me within the church. And I don't necessarily see so much that, um, I guess it depends a little bit on what you mean by overcoming, um, them. I don't ever want to get to the point where those things I just mentioned don't bother me. I always want them to bother me. Um, I think one of the things that is important, at least for me and in, in my journey, is recognizing that when I see a Christian leader, regardless of how prominent they are as a Christian leader, displaying these things, that, that it, it is that Christian leader displaying those things. It is not my pastor who preached that sermon on humility. And it's not Christ. So I think for me, one of the things um, has been not so much getting to the point where those things don't bother me, as much as being grounded in the understanding that that person is not Jesus. And that person, while they may represent a significant portion of the church, is not the church. A lot of survivors struggle with coming to church. A lot of survivors have a hard time. They see how the church at times has responded and maybe they were abused within the church or when they came forward were re-traumatized by how the church responded to them. And that person is not going to necessarily automatically be great, I can't wait for Sunday so I can go and get abused again. One of the things that is very important is for us to allow a person to be on a path. And maybe right now they were so desperately hurt in the church that if they step into a church, they're going to have a flashback. If they step into a church, they're going to have a panic attack. If they step into a church, all they're going to see and all they're going to hear is the exact same message that they were given when they came forward about their abuse. 
We need to be able to honor and respect the place that that person's at. To walk alongside that person at the pace that they're moving and at the pace that God is working with them at. Not to dictate the pace that they take to overcome some of those things. Not to dictate their pace towards forgiveness. Not to dictate their pace towards coming back to church. But to rely on God to work with the person on that. And then to just be available to walk alongside that person. As somebody who has had to leave the church a couple of times in her life because of spiritual abuse and just like the abuse from the church. I mean, I know a lot of people, it takes them a few months, sometimes it takes a few years to even want to step into the church. Uh, I think even when I was going to seminary for the first, when I went to seminary, I almost had a panic attack because I was like, these people know scripture better than me and they can use scripture more so to abuse me than anybody else. Because the more knowledge they have, the more power they can have to use against me. You know, I can usually hold my own against most people in a congregation as far as scriptural knowledge. But that was absolutely terrifying to me. And I was very thankful the opposite was true once I came to seminary. So... Cool. Have you read Diane Langberg's I've read one of her, uh, Langberg's I think two of book, her Redeeming Power? I actually Power? got to hear her speak at uh, Covenant Seminary, and I got to have, have her, uh, I got to spend okay. a two-day conference with her. Awesome. Very cool. In Diane's book, Redeeming Power, she talks about sources of power, um, and and you talked about just one of those sources right there is is knowledge as a source of power language as a source of power physical size as a source of power um yeah and so you're 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 saying exactly some of those things that Diana is talking about about people having power that power of knowledge and of language and then using it or and, I mean it can be used it. for good as much as it can be used for evil. I mean it's a powerful sword. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um how has Absolutely. God helped you with dealing with the fundamentalism and the legalism inside the church? Um, so just personally, I grew up in, uh, the IFB, Independent Fundamentalist Baptist, uh, church. So I had to work through some things, um, related to that. Um, I think, um, I also want to be incredibly clear that I I have met some people that um, are within fundamentalism and recognize this dissonance, but haven't, but don't know yet what to do 
with it. And I don't, I don't want to come with a condescending view towards people who are within fundamentalism, and I don't want to say um, everybody in fundamentalism is um, is in need of whatever it it might be. But my personal experience with fundamentalism, and I'm separating out fundamentalism, I guess in my head I've got a more limited view of what is fundamentalism than some people might have. But when I think of stereotypical fundamentalism, um, I've had to work through the fact that they're not Jesus. I've had to work through... Um, when you grow up hearing the same message over and over and over again, and it's not just a message, but it's a message that's given by God, and to not hold that message is and believe that message is clear indication that you're going to hell. Um, it takes a while to work through some of that. It takes a while. Um, and I think it's something that um, also doesn't necessarily totally go away. Um, and that you still deal with at times and still work through at times. Um, and I think it's important for me anyway to recognize um, that not everyone within those environments and within even that what I would consider a stereotypically fundamentalist faith system not everyone holds those views and some people don't some people haven't discovered some of the more dangerous sides of that faith system. Some people are on a journey of discovery but haven't figured out how to leave yet. Um, and in some cases, I mean, I think we see a lot of dynamics on an individual level that play out at a systemic level. And um, we see a, a lot in, in like a a situation of domestic or intimate partner violence where even after a person recognizes that they're being abused it is very difficult to leave that abusive relationship and there are so many complex complex reasons for that and when we talk about an abusive faith community I think we talk about a lot of those same dynamics, but a little bit more even on a systemic level, where it is that abusive faith community that has taken on the role of the abusive partner, and now we have a hard time leaving, even if we know it might be abusive, even if we can see the harm, it's just so hard to leave not because of a lack of courage, not because of a lack of commitment, but for the same complex reasons that complicate leaving an abusive intimate partner relationship, it complicates leaving an abusive spiritual relationship with an abusive faith community. 
it's also, I think, important uh, for, for me, it's been important to recognize that if I come against theology with um, this is what the latest scientific research shows, that's not going to do any good. Um, because at that point I'm trying to say, all right, you're telling me what God says, so I'll tell you yeah. what people say. It's not going to work. Um, it's What may work is, okay, we'll engage on theology then. Okay? So, you know, you might say theologically that this is required. Well, here's theologically why it might not actually be. So engaging theologically, because you're going to lose the argument. If they're saying, this is what God says, and you reply, well, this is what people say. Whether that's accurate or or not, and I'm not saying that God actually is saying the things that they said, but in their view, you know, you're going to lose. Um, and then I think it's also important to recognize that whether we agree with them or not, there is room for more conservative views to be held safely. But we need to take a proactive approach recognizing the risks. There are also risks that come with more liberal views as well as more conservative views. There are risks that come with any belief system and any individual belief. We have to be vigilant to identify those risks and then say, does that risk actually indicate that maybe my belief is not accurate? Or does that risk indicate that even though I still hold to my belief, I need to take some proactive steps to try and limit how this belief is abused? All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Uh, Pete's going to be back next week. Always follow us on your favorite platform for social media or on podcast. And if you have any questions or want to reach out or learn more about Rachel and Recovery, always go to rachelandrecovery.com. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week at 10 a.m. on Thursday.